Hey, everybody, welcome to the plant yourself podcast. I'm your host, Howard Jacobson. Let's start off with a little music. So today I'm talking with two of my favorite people, uh, Dean and Aisha Sherzai, Team Sherzai, and they are both neurologists and they're co-director of the Alzheimer's Prevention Program at Loma Linda University Medical Center. They are researchers, they are clinicians, they are chefs, they are musicians, they are experts on habit change, individual change, organizational shifts. They're an impressive power team. And today we do not talk about brain science much. We don't talk about Alzheimer's or dementia prevention. I wanted to talk to them about science and research and medical practice and advocacy and public health from a bigger perspective. And I want to talk to them about two things because they have been very vocal on social media in insisting on evidence and weighing evidence in this whole COVID-19 uh, controversy, which has been mostly manufactured uh, by conspiracy theorists and has spread like wildfire. And I asked them how they go about combating that and what the importance is and what we need to do in order to use science well. You know, I kind of pushed them a little bit because one of the claims of the COVID conspiracy theorists is that we can't trust big pharma. And it's their greed and desire to manipulate us and to cause us to be so scared that we'll do anything they say, which is leading them to, you know, basically foist false solutions upon us for problems that aren't real. And I pointed out and they agree and the shares I agreed that very often the pharmaceutical industry has been greedy and corrupt. And how do we tell the difference? How do we say in one case, you know, well, vaccines are a good thing. And in another case, uh, psych meds, which uh, are for depression or psychosis or anxiety, actually do more harm than good and are typically no better than placebo. So we talked about how to use science in a nuanced and responsible way. The other topic that we covered that the shares eyes have also been very vocal about is racism and how to fight racism and what their role and responsibilities are given their uh, public stature and their clinical stature in bringing about an anti-racist society in which outcomes do not depend on skin color. Before we get to it, I will just mention three things. One, the book that Josh Lajani and I wrote, Use the Weight to Lose the Weight, is available on Amazon as a Kindle book. And I hope within the next day or two, by the time you listen to this, it will be a paperback as well. Just search for the title and I think you will enjoy it. Second thing, I have a couple of slots available for one-on-one -on -one laser coaching and I have special pandemic pay from the heart pricing. You can get it for as low as $83 a month. And finally, if that's still a little steep, but you'd like some help with your health behaviors, health habits, sticking to things, getting the results you want, I've created a group coaching program, which meets Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time U.S., and you can join that by visiting sicktofit.com slash coaching. This is also set up as a pay from the heart program, which means you can get it. I'm setting the minimum at $15 a month and the suggested at $50 a month. And anything in there or above is good with me. Okay, so let's turn to today's topic. Without further ado, Dean and Aisha Sherzai, welcome back to the Plant Yourself podcast. 
It's so great to be with you again, Howie. Thank you for having us. Uh huh. Actually, it's Dean, this is this is your first visit. You. It is. It well, is. Oh, yeah. that's right. Yeah. That's right. I remember doing the the first one with you alone. It was a solo one. Yes. You might lose some <laughs> audience members after this one, though. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can we can split the audio so uh, people can people can choose Good. their own adventure. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Um, yeah, so um, you know, you guys are the 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 gurus of of solving Alzheimer's. You have this book. I think it's three years old now. The Alzheimer's Solution. Um, right. And recently, you have been pretty vocal on the social medias that I follow of yours on on topics related to health in a, in whole different domains around uh, misinformation and the scientific debates around the coronavirus. Um, and we've talked about, you know, the the protests around racial inequity and injustice. Um, so first, my first question is, like, as as doctors, what is what are those things to you? Uh, <clears throat> so to me, Doctor, it's we're not doing that as doctors. I'm, I'm, and we're doing that at more as scientists, as researchers. Um, and that, that, even that term doesn't mean much except to say that there's a way of looking at information coming at you, because there's so much information out there that you could actually find anything for anything. I tell people if you just want to find information uh, on the internet, if you say if you want to say just pick any two concepts, eating. You know, aluminum, uh, um, uh, uh, eating aluminum and pick a disease and then put it into Google and then also put directionality. It's going to solve that disease or it's going to cause the disease. You will find somebody out of the seven billion people that have read, have written something or have gotten an opinion that aluminum increases, you know, um, uh, type two diabetes or aluminum decreases type two diabetes. So if it's a matter of finding data on the internet, whatever you put, you'll find. That's not a problem. There are people that are gonna make all kinds of statements. It's the weight of the data, and it's the direction of the data, it's the, it's the, it's the kind of data that it is, where it's coming from, that's critical. And then the other thing is, it doesn't have to, and, and the other way that people fail things is on the other side of the spectrum, which is, if it's not perfect, then it's false. Science has never been like that. In fact, we've created machines that put 500 people into air, you know, fly people in the air, not because people knew absolutely something. They had a greater direction towards something, you know. I, I mean, gravity is still a theory, but I think we all accept it. They said <laughs> the theory of gravity, you know, the gravitational theory. And, and so there are, there are, so that, that weight and that complexity is what makes people uncomfortable so they just want to succumb to the next guru, which says something in a beautiful way. I mean, we see this on the Internet all the time. Somebody all of a sudden gets this massive following because they said something to the effect that if you walk on dirt barefoot, you cure your diseases. OK, I can say that walking barefoot on dirt is great, feels so good, but it's not going to cure my Alzheimer's or my dementia, or my uh, diabetes, or my heart disease, or any of that stuff. So forget about gurus, because in fact, forget even about what we say. Look at the weight of what we say and challenge us. 
In fact, but challenges with a systematic way. One of the first things we did with our kids, have them po- read things like from Karl Popper, which is falsifiability, you know. Mm-hmm. And then Sophie read four books on um, uh, the fallacies, the fallacies, logical fallacies. You know, if somebody says a series of things, what part of it is truly something that you can stick your hat on it, you know? Um, so those kind of things are complicated. People, eat, and then what they do is if you do that, they, they put these pejorative terminology on you. And I say, don't even worry about us. What comes out is not us. Is the data supported? How much supported? Is there contrary data? And, and, and so the weight of the truth is extremely more important than the statement of the truth or the truth sayer. Because there's going to be a guru with beautiful words coming out every other day on the internet now, especially with social media. And if we don't know how to distill the data, it's dangerous. And, and especially now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, if I if I may add to that, I think the beautiful thing about science is that it's a system. It's a mechanism. It's not a person. It's not an opinion. And it's based on a well-developed system of processing information and it's based on theories like falsifiability repeatability uh, applicability um, and, and I, I think you know a lot of a lot of people label scientists and doctors as being very pompous and um, over the top but I think science is the most humble of all fields because it deals with the information at hand and it has the humility to say, I was wrong. The latest data says this. And it changes. It changes on a regular basis based on the information that we have at hand. I think that's the most humble uh, mm. approach to life. Um, so, yes, we on social media and in conversations with friends and family, we find it very uncomfortable when people stick to something just based on a particular belief system or based on something that they have heard. And I think the best way to process information is by by looking at it from a scientific perspective. There's two ways people actually play around that. Either they're they're not knowledgeable about the, the depth of science and and the and how to approach it and to look at it the bigger picture, or there are people that are actually manipulating that lack of absolutism to their benefit. For example, the COVID-19 Nobody knew what this virus was going to evolve into. We had implications. We had some incomplete data. And and people know that we had this incomplete data. Even the source was bad, but but we, we had to work around that because nobody argues the fact that there could be a virus that comes in that can wipe millions of people out. And for a long time, people have spoken about that. People that are in the field of virology, epidemiology, public health, that we are in danger of that, especially with the populations growing together, the numbers are increasing, especially with the fact that we're actually crossing borders easier, that's going to come. So we are always, uh, especially in public health and epidemiology, looking for, worried about that one virus or, or, or resistant bacteria that's going to come, out, come and will wipe out millions of people. So you have to start with the worst case scenario especially if the data gives you the worst case scenario. You know, the 1918 flu, what a little benign name, flu, killed tens of millions of people 
Uh, by the way, there are actually people that are denying that either as well. There are people that are saying Earth is flat. So, but but they are. They did, and and we are worried about that. Our kids did a video on on um, our uh, transmissibility and virulence and, and and mortality from from different diseases. Pandemics. Pandemics. Yeah. So there are, there are viruses that have high mortality but low transmissibility. Others that have high transmissibility, low mortality. What if you get a virus or a bacteria that has high mortality and high transmissibility? Right, and, and a long asymptomatic latency period. Oh right. my gosh, add that to it. And so the people say, oh, but look at this, the data is changing, that shows you. And then from the data changing, they jump into uh, their conspiracy theories that have no proven data points. And then they essentially search for an authority that has the same way of thinking like them. And then they try to magnify that. Right. And if you get enough, yeah, if you get enough of them, three or four, there you have a documentary. Wonderful. <laughs> right. I mean, one of, one of the things that I've seen, even among sort of, you know, people who are well-versed in science and, and actually people in the plant-based community, in the vegan community, they... They look for the data and filter it according to their confirmation bias. So there's people yeah. in the plant-based community who fear government control over all else. Like for them, when they weigh the possibility, worst case, their worst case scenario is the government implanting us all with microchips, right? Yes. Or forcibly vaccinating everyone. And it's, you know, like... There's there's so much data and so much of it is on, you know, un peer reviewed because people are rushing things to just try to to make sense of it. Um, how do you how do you guys deal with your own confirmation bias? Because only, you know, people who understand confirmation bias don't think, well, I'm the only person without confirmation bias. Yeah, I think um, there's no simple one answer to that. Um, I think it it starts from. Um, being comfortable with mm -hmm. the fact that there will be a lot of times that I won't know. Being comfortable with the fact that there will be times that I will be ignorant about a subject. And being f comfortable um, about the fact that there are people, that there are bodies that are experts in the subject and that I will listen and I will learn and evolve. I think that's where, that's, that, that sense of comfort of saying I may be wrong opens up the opportunity to be better in processing that information and to be better at, uh, you know, being vocal about a particular path or, or, or mechanism or, or treatment, whatever that may be, whatever the conversation mm -hmm. may be. Um, and I, I think that's a, that's a quality of, of being a scientist where you say, okay, um, this is my lane. This is what I know. Beyond that, I'm not going to make any suggestions. Beyond that, I'm not going to, you know, uh, create a, a hypothesis without looking at everything around me. And there is no way that I can be an expert in in, in a field unless I live it, breathe it, eat it. Um, and one one of the most the scariest things that I've seen is the the death of expertise, where everybody is an expert just because there's a whole lot of information coming at you and you've read a couple of articles doesn't necessarily mean that you have a good grasp of the bigger picture. Um, so okay. so I would start from there. <clears throat> we even tell people, even in Alzheimer's, where we've worked all our life, you know, I'm not going this is not about um, um, authority and, and making our, ourselves as authority. But I'm saying actually challenge us. If the data comes out 
uh, let me give you an idea. For example, with fat and sugar, while we were talking in, in, in uh, Hawaii, we were having a conversation in Hawaii, and somebody in the audience actually challenged one of our papers, at the, uh, and, and it was a little dis- uncomfortable. Yeah, in the middle of our presentation. In front of several <laughs> hundred people. And, and, and kind of trained ourselves to be comfortable with discomfort. I think the most important thing in the world is to be comfortable with discomfort, because that opens you up to ch- questioning yourself, to challenging yourself. And, and, and that doesn't take away my authority or my, my past work or my future work. I think it actually, it's not even the word humble. It's, a, it's appropriate. Yeah. So we went back and started looking at the fact that whether it's sugar that causes diabetes or it's fat. This is after even we had written a book, after the fact that we had even published a paper on NHANES on insulin it, resistance. There's a particular relationship yeah, between and, the two. And this person was not even a scientist, but the question was appropriate. Mm-hmm. Question was, t- so we actually revisited all that data and we looked at it and yeah, it's not as simple as binary, but fat has a lot more to do with it. And so we actually started looking at that. And we that's our feel every day, every minute. I did a fellowship in movement disorders, and when we do wards, and this week we were, we were the ward attendings in, in the hospital. It was pretty cool when the two of us are taking care of neurology. And <clears throat> movement disorders, I did a fellowship at NIH in it, but if there are movement disorder cases, I actually would, would I mean, not humility, forget that, would, would appropriate scientific knowledge, go to the expert in the field, which is another movement disorder doctor in our field, I ask them questions. Mm-hmm. So. It's good to be open to the massive amount of information, but from people that know it. And if you don't like that, actually get second, third, fifth opinion, not to confirm your bias, but to clarify the data. If your point is data, it's a lot better than if your point is your particular direction of data. And it's also important to note that you you might not find 100% acceptance of a theory. But it's just the weight of that theory that matters most. If there's a lot of arrows pointing towards one direction and probably a couple of other ones uh, pointing towards the other direction, you may want to follow the ones that are pointing to the to, you know, to the more arrows rather than relying on the smaller arrows to live right. life and to base everything on it. Right. So that, that brings up like a really interesting dynamic tension which is the history, I think Karl Popper wrote about like scientific revolutions, right? So like the story, the classic story is there's one scientist who sees things differently and is ridiculed their whole life. And, you know, in, if it's the Middle Ages, they're put under house arrest, yes. right? Or threatened with, with yeah. death by the church. And then they turn out to be right. And now, like that becomes the... The, the 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 origin story for people who come out with theories that are opposed to what you just said, like the the, the weight of evidence. So how, how do yeah, you negotiate yeah. that? Yeah. I mean, us being plant based is something like that. I mean, we've lost massive opportunities. I mean, I, I and this is massive. But what we stand for is right. The science is right. But in the, within the plant based world, even the, our idea about we're going to be plant-based for multiple reasons, uh, because of it, its ethics, because of environment, and because of the science. But, but the science on the fish component is a little 
fishy. <laughs> uh, although we done even the science as far as it's mercury, lead, and all the other chemicals that are found in fish and are not even looked at. But we say if you're going to eat fish, ethically we would say don't because the oceans are being destroyed. Environmentally, absolutely not because we're leaving devastated areas where there are actually dead zone in the size of Russia and the, the ocean now because of actually trolling and destroying. But health-wise, if you're going to give up red meat and processed meat, if you want to stay at fish, that's your choice. That wouldn't be my choice because of mercury, lead, and everything else, but that's that's your choice. So the science, we go with the science of that fact. And, mm -hmm. and it's uncomfortable for us to go with the science of that fact, but we also give the rest of it because it requires that complexity, doesn't it? So being on the edge of challenge is fine. It's great. Saying the, the unusual thing, looking at the unusual thing is actually important. It's critical that we question the status quo. There are conspiracies out there. God knows which ones, but there are conspiracies out there. <laughs> there are inequalities out there. There are inequities out there. There are uh, systems of finance that are profiting one group and not other group, one population, not other population, one system, one other companies and not individuals. I'm not making political statements here. I'm just generally speaking. And all of that should be challenged. All of that. Should, but the way you challenge it and then to make your final conclusion has to be based on a lot more than the latest expert on YouTube, including us, including us. If I'm saying something and there's more weight of data against what I'm saying, oh my goodness, challenge me and Aisha like crazy. But it's got to be data-based. Right now in the plant-based world, there are people coming up with studies on Alzheimer's that are based on, who's never, who've never done research on Alzheimer's. But all of a sudden they say, oh, we're going to do a six-month study to reverse Alzheimer's. I'm like, I don't care who you are. Bad science is bad science. We could have said this, things like, we can reverse Alzheimer's. And as, as we told you before, they told us that you would sell millions of other more books if you just alluded to the fact that you can sell, you can reverse Alzheimer's. And who challenges anybody in today's environment? People say all kinds of stuff. We said we can't because it's, it's extrapolating beyond the data. So coming back, it's important to look at those unusual thoughts, unusual ideas, or challenge even the status quo. In fact, that's the central important thing. But even that challenge should require a system, doesn't it? Not just your opinion or not two opinions, not 50 opinions, mm -hmm. or even people who look like experts on Internet opinions, but a system, not on person so or depends, ideas. So it depends on the quality of the challenging opinion, too, um, whether it addresses all of the needs of it becoming a, a, a valid reason for people to change. Mm -hmm. Uh, so so let's but let's talk to people who are not scientists who are watching this podcast and who are just consumers of science. And there is a danger of finding someone who is compelling sounding and authoritative looking and can quote statistics. So I'm um, I'm following these debates on Twitter among epidemiologists <clears throat> and. Some and they have very, very different points of view about the virus. There's like, um, you know, Johnny Anitas. Uh, who's basically been saying for three months now that this is no big deal and we're we're way overreacting. And then you have people like Carl Bergstrom who's saying, please, social distance, wear a mask. This is not a joke. Um, at the end, I, I look at their stuff and I go a couple levels deep into some charts and and I, you know, studied epidemiology in grad school and I am not capable of of deciding who is right. I just have to go with like 
I like one of them better than the other. One of them is more interesting. One of them writes about ravens and the other one has weird hair. Like, like, like that's how my mind goes. <laughs> like, like, oh, yeah. yeah, all of us. Right. It's, I, I think then you're, you actually hit it right on. There's a lot of things that we, like if somebody starts talking about gravitational theories, I mean, they could say whatever they want and I wouldn't know which one is right. <laughs> Yeah, you know, so or or any obscure esoteric concept like that, right? So you're right. So at some point we say we have to decide where is the data coming from, how frequent and how many different people are saying this, and what's their authority. I mean, there's some level of that. If 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 Johns Hopkins School of Public Health, Harvard School of Public Health, CDC, WHO, all of these, let's say you hate WHO and God knows why all of a sudden WHO became this evil thing. I mean, look at that extrapolation. I worked with WHO before for, for three years looking at public health at the international level. Yeah, they're not efficient. They're actually probably one of the least efficient organizations, but they still do amazing work, but they're not efficient. There, there's a lot of nepotism because at the national level because that, and people have to know how WHO works. It's national and there's some countries that are very nepotistic and others are very professional. Yeah, but still, they do some great work as well. You look at where the sources are and how many of those sources are pointing the same way. And then if you and then and then the only thing that's left that would negate all that directionality is, oh, all of them are together contorting mm-hmm. the data, including thousands of physicians everywhere together, except that one physician in California that, that had some clinic and saw this kind of stuff and, and speaks well. Then, then that becomes a problem with reality as we exist, isn't it? That philosophy of do we even exist? I mean, how much do you uh, question everything? Descartes' question problem. So at some point you have to say if Harvard, Columbia, uh, Hopkins, uh, CDC, NIH, everybody's pointing in the same direction. Yeah, the direction, the weight of it might be a little different here and there. And we might have to adjust it over time because you, with public health, you go with the worst case scenario first and then you adjust backward. Then I would pick that over two, three, five, six people on the internet that sound really good and they make really good documentaries. Hmm. Well, so, but what about, like, let's take the example of the pharmaceutical industry, which many people who are, you know, sane and sober point out that the medical education system is basically underwritten by pharma. Um, you guys have talked about the pharmaceutical industry's complete lack of, um, I, don't, I don't know if it's integrity, but at least, you know, common sense around searching for Alzheimer's drugs that uh, that deal with just amyloid plaque or or just one thing when, you know, he says, you say that we've, we've cured thousands of mice, but no people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you say that, well, that's the same, <coughs> excuse me, that's the same industry that is pushing you know, the COVID-19 story about, you know, the H, uh, HQL or HCL that's off, off label, you know, um, you know, no, no longer uh, I'm losing my words because I've been up all night because you guys told me to go on CPAP again. <laughs> <laughs> mild, mild sleep deprived aphasia. You know what I'm saying? They can't make money <laughs> yeah, off of it yeah. anymore. I do. You know, yeah, and really they're also, you know, there's people who say, well, that's the same the same people who are telling us that vaccines are safe when they're full of, you know, mercury and fetuses and and all this stuff. And what about all these parents? So, how do you guys advise us to parse when you tell us that pharma is utterly failing in uh, the field of dementia and cognitive decline 
And yet we're supposed to believe them in these other areas. So it's the type of failure, isn't it? Uh, so <clears throat> one assumes a willful a willful misrepresentation, willful misdirection, willful uh, biased research, which all of that has existed a little bit as well. I mean, we've, we've known mm -hmm. stories where they created a disease uh, and no, they created the tools and then the disease and vice versa, you know, when it came to osteoporosis and others as well. And, and then the other kind is whether they actually don't have the mechanism of looking at things in a broader sense. And that's where we and others have to come in and give them the broader lifestyle approach and then push the policy towards that. It's the money that's coming that wants immediate gratification, which in lifestyle it's not there. So it's so it's not so much a willful pushing the, 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 the data away, but they're not even looking at that data because they don't have the mechanism of looking at that data. And, and they're not negating lifestyle. They don't have to because because nobody's doing the work or nobody was doing the work. So it's our job to actually do the work and come out. And guess what? Now there's funding for lifestyle. Yeah. There's significant funding. So if it was such a powerful lobby, all the funding would have been stopped. It is a powerful lobby. Sorry, I take that back. It is a powerful lobby. But there's a mechanism of breaking through that myopic approach. <laughs> so it's more myopia. The other problem is, are they willfully affecting people? They are doing that as well through lobbying, through K Street, through how they're affecting politicians and all of that. Absolutely. So what we're saying is complexity. All of that is going on as well. But then looking at the data that's out there, let's say that if you're, va you're challenging vaccines, then you should also challenge, if more than vaccines, the antidepressant world. Has anybody even looked at the true efficacy of antidepressants? No, because there's nothing else. So there's something that shows a blip, then it's pushed as a product. But people say, oh, there's a benefit, but the benefit is exaggerated significantly. And that's because that's their benefit. They, they push the money to exaggerate it. So people should actually ask and question the data. But then when it comes to questioning the data, question the data appropriately. There are plenty of debates out there, and we'll actually share a debate between vaccines and anti people who are anti-vaccine, where it came to the harm or the aluminum content or the fetus component and all that. And the, the, the person that, that, that challenged it, that knows the field, dominated the conversation. Mm -hmm. It's the weight of the conversation. It's the weight of the data. And then there's the comp compound uh, component of moving the bar of safety. If out of 10,000 people, two people died or five people died, and you say, that's unacceptable. Well, then don't get don't walk out of your house. Because a lot more chance of you dying out there than five out of 10,000. So there's the complexity is there. Nobody's saying it's not. There are conspiracies. There are companies that are trying to obscure the data. There are companies that are trying to buy uh, influence. There are companies that are actually exaggerating data. For example, we always talk about absolute risk reduction and, and a relative risk reduction. And a lot of times they, they point to uh, relative risk reduction. They say, oh, 33% reduction in, in stroke risk, for example, with this drug. Well, 33% meant that it went from 9 to 6%. Before there was 9%, now 6%. That's you know 33% relative risk reduction. But as absolute risk reduction was still 3 mm -hmm. So they exaggerate that. We have to be vigilant about all of that. We have to be on top of all of that. Nobody's taking away the complexity. 
It is all true. But the weight of the data in one direction, the harm, benefit, net benefit, all of that is there. They might be charging too much. They might be pushing their efficacy too much. They might be exaggerating certain things. And that's where we and you and all of us come in to hold them count. But, but you know, you don't throw the baby with the bathwater. That, I mean, why you have to have really good data, really, really good data to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And there are times in history where we've done that, you know, bleeding people for disease. Half our presidents in the beginning were bled for their diseases. God knows what happened with those people. So uh, that's those things should be thrown out with the, uh, the baby and bathwater. But but the, the answer to complexity is not acquiescence to nothing or the answer to complexity is not binary. It's still complexity. It's still data driven. It's still holding people accountable. I didn't make it any easier. <laughs> and it's not. Aisha, can you make it easier? <laughs> oh, she always does. Yeah. Just go with a better looking person, I suppose. <laughs> when you're watching a debate. Yeah. No, that's just a joke. But um, no, there's, there's no easy answer for it. Um, and uh, I, I fear that people are exhausted because mm. of the constant... Um, you know, flow of information and flow of discussion thrown at them um, and then them giving up. Dean Dean actually talks about a nuclear landscape, uh, which is essentially, you know, when when there is a piece of land, when there's a nuclear bomb that occurs there, you know, for ages and ages, nothing grows there anymore. It becomes just barren land because of that massive shift and massive change. And um, I think that happens to humanity as well. Um, once they lose interest and trust in uh, in a field or uh, to towards a particular, you know, expertise, um, they will never go back to it and they will always give up. Um, and that, that is the that is the most um, dangerous and the scariest thing that I think I've been experiencing so far. Um, and it's happening in in the world of um, you know plant based uh, movement uh, when you see uh, different doctors saying different things, not sticking to the science and to the evidence based medicine, and people you know sensing that discomfort between uh, the different groups and completely giving up the entire field. Um, uh, so it, I fear that. Yeah, you're beautiful. Um, I I think the one of the key is the nuclear landscape is when you put your hope and hope is a Incredible, yeah. most important commodity we have. Right. When you put your hope and all the manifestation of that hope into one person or one idea, and and that idea is thwarted or they fail or they 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 then you you haven't lost them just to that idea. This person's hope will not open up to other concepts again. The key is not to put your hope into people mm. or even ideas, but to a process. Yeah. A complex process, not a self-serving uh, confirmation bias-based uh, process, but a complex process that throughout life, be it in nutrition or other realms of life, uses the complexity to come up to a, to a, a, a truth or to a, not even truth, to a proximity of truth, to a nearness to a truth. But if you put your hope on a idea or a person, that's dangerous because you're not going to, you're going to be that person will fail you and that idea will be changing. So then you think, oh, look at the change. No, it's the changing complexity of idea using your, com your, your, your methods of tr telling if the data is coming from the right source, if it's not biased to begin with because it was not funded by that organization, 
if it's using the right science, if it was repeated by other people that are not even connected, and if it's robust enough to be truly able to give you the data, mm-hmm. then yeah. ah, pretty good direction to go with. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a good plan. That's that's a good plan. Yeah. Although yeah. I want to challenge you some more on this because you yeah. guys write about your own career trajectory and how everybody told you don't do what you're doing, don't go mm-hmm. into lifestyle, keep trying to develop drugs. You'll have you'll get much more funding. You'll be you know much more rewarded. You'll get to speak at the big conferences. You'll probably get you know cruises and laptops and all that stuff. Um, and you decided to walk away from that. Like how many in the in your world of research and science, how many people do you know who have who have made that commitment and people who who have how many of them are able to follow their research without also compromising to just put food on the table and a roof over their heads? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Um, I do know that. It's not the typical thing to do, um, and especially when you work so hard, um, you go to school for so many years. We're still in school, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and um, when you hear your 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 mentors who have written hundreds of papers, if not thousands, and having their names on textbooks, and you know you're in awe of their presence, and you're there, and you can't believe that you're actually getting trained by them. And then one day you decide that you want to go into lifestyle and you want to train into nutrition because you see more benefit in that for the world because it's in line with your mission and vision. And you see that mentor telling you, oh, that's a career suicide. You, you're not going to get a grant. And you know that most of your friends and colleagues who are in the same field are going to have that better life, set schedules. It's not a fear-based life. Everything is set for you. All you have to do is, you know, just basically do the same things that were set for others. Um, it's a very, very scary thing to do. Um, I, we're still sometimes, uh, uh, we're, we're still actually, not to sound like like a victim or anything, but we know that we've lost a lot of opportunities being plant-based and being in lifestyle and wanting to look at the more complex picture rather than the specific one. Um, we know that we could have we could have actually had a more comfortable life, if not a more meaningful life, if we had gone down the 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 set path. But you know what? Um, it's um, <laughs> I don't know. It, it it just it's so much more meaningful when you connect your daily daily tasks to a bigger picture, to something that is aligned with your mission and vision in life. And not to make it too dramatic, but, you know, when Dean and I got married to each other and, you know, the motto of our life is to help reduce suffering. I know that has nothing to do with an analysis in a stroke paper or when you're looking at, you know, some some um, Alzheimer's disease analyses. But when you have that true north, you have to decide what path you're going to take, whether it's completing a paper, whether it's a project, whether getting a degree, whether dealing with your patients, whether doing research, all of that have to come from that one purpose in life. And that's why we had to adjust and and and, and modify our path to, to make sure that every single day we're living that. Right. And, and you can understand how people can look at the system and say it's a broken system and it doesn't it doesn't support human well-being. 
Oh, absolutely. And that's where it stemmed from. You know, uh, it, it's it, it's such a depressing thing to be. I mean, due, due respect to all the fabulous doctors. We have nothing against doctors. It's one of the most beautiful fields. But um, but if when you see that you're not really working towards benefiting the patient or making a difference in the community uh, by adopting something that has been falsely set for many years and nobody's challenged it, you 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 try to step in. And that's what we did. We wanted to look at lifestyle because we believe that there's been a lot of data, a lot of work in, done in that field, and people live longer and better with better brain health. But it was never really applied in a in a in a hospital setting and in a community setting. And we decided we chose to do that. So so I, I think the, beautifully stated. I mean, uh, I I think the key is to challenge the ideas. The institutions and the people are always past protectors. I mean. I mean, at the end of the day, it comes to that. I, I always say the battle is between the past protectors and the future seekers. Future <laughs> seekers are far and few in between. And they're the crazy ones because it's much more energy efficient and psychologically efficient to stay to what you know or what's been shown, what's been you know, safe. But, but as, you know, future seekers go to a place where it's unknown. Why would you do that? Why would you search that? But it's good to have that future-seeking perspective and challenge. But challenge ideas. Then you don't confront people. And so when they told both of us actually felt this, got the same talk that your career would be over if you go in this direction. And we, we didn't worry about the source coming to us or the because we didn't hold it against them. They just It's like, where's the data showing us? So if you challenge the idea that, okay, we've done mouse model, mouse model, mouse model, mouse model, 400 of them. And have they failed over and over and over again? Uh, first of all, are there other models? Looked around, and there are other models. So looked at other models and see are there connections potentially for the brain? And there were a few. And so the data directed us. Uh, so you can challenge the models, and then you don't have to confront the individual or the institution. Absolutely. Hmm. So something that occurs to me is you guys are experts on the brain, and. And I've seen how you apply that not just to care of the brain, but also how to change your habits. Like you think of everything in terms of this is how the brain wants to work. So let's work with the brain. How, how does the how does what your understanding of the human brain and its motivations help you understand the world we're living in? It's, it's like, is are we just taking shortcuts because we're trying to save glucose? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Aisha has put it beautifully. It, it, your, your brain is in a snowstorm and there are walls of snow everywhere and there are paths that wants a path of least resistance where the car or the whatever vehicle you're using is going down a path where it's not hitting snow and plowing through it. So those paths are created very early in your teen years and before and they're created in, at the interface of your inclinations usually not the not, not beneficial inclinations survival inclinations you remember evolution had no interest in you living past 30 didn't he couldn't even care less it only cared that you thrived enough to reproduce that's not 70 80 that's 2030 if not earlier back in you know years millennia ago so if that's the interest it means survival. Evolution only cared for you get enough energy, good or bad, didn't matter. In fact, most of it bad just to get survived. 
So that intrinsic inclination, plus you, your tastes connected to those because the body wants to push you towards those high energy because otherwise you wouldn't get the Trader Joe's around you that has everything. You, you're lucky if you have a fruit tree near you, let's say 5,000 years ago, uh, you're lucky if you have, and people who think we're hunter-gatherers, we used to hunt in Virginia, and I'm, I'm, I'm plant-based, vegan now, but, uh, and we, we are a family of doctors, 27 doctors, 150-acre land in Virginia, and, and we used to go hunting on the weekends, and thank goodness for those animals, the doctors make terrible hunters. <laughs> Never, I don't think we ever hunted anything, and we, we always end up going Kroger's or Giant Eagle in Pittsburgh or somewhere, you know, and afterwards, so we were not hunter gatherers. We were gatherers and then hunters. So energy was you, 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 you did anything to get some form of food, and especially if it's high energy foods like fat and sugar. So your addictions are set in that direction, which means your dopamine pathways, your proclivities are set in that direction, and then your taste buds are set in the direction to pull you in that direction. So unhealthy, and and then you are connected to your family at the beginning. So all those memories and emotions and everything is connected. So guess what? The road that's plowed through that snow walls of snow is the one that's usually unhealthy, especially as you get into your 40s, 50s, 60s and beyond. So you need to so, plow new roads. So does that does that hold true also of we you know, we're in a very fractionated society. So it's just brain friendly to just agree with the people around you as a, as opposed oh, yeah. to chasing complexity like you're advising? Yeah. Any yeah. any change or any challenge of either coming up with a new thought, a new habit or a new way of life requires literally requires a lot of energy for the brain. Like you said, use a lot of glucose. Making those pathways are painful. It's tiring. It's not the easy way. People just want to drive through those set roads through the piles and piles of snow. Nobody wants to create a new road. No, I mean, sorry, I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it where it needs to go. <laughs> Racism. Yeah. For millennia, the likelihood of somebody looking like you, keeping you alive was more than somebody that looked very different than you than keeping you alive. That was the case. That. I'm not going to say genetic, but there's some proclivities in that. There's comfort in that, under recognition. And not genetically, because children are not racist when they begin. They're, they're, you've seen pictures. Of, I'm not going to go into well, the memes and everything. Children don't know what color they are. They just look, no, at, they just no. look and see what the, you know, what the caregivers are. Exactly. And then this need, what is, I mean, if you just think about it, why? Why would you care? If this person that's loving you, that has potential for loving you, looks a little different, or is a different gender, or different sexuality, or this, why? If there's love, we're going from neuro to love. Let's do this. Then. It's connected. <laughs> it's connected. Because it's comfortable. The familiar is comfortable. I say the leadership of the 21st century is comfort and discomfort. Because in that complexity, the success of evolution is in complexity, multiple complexities. And out of that complex, in fact, homogeneity creates genetic disorders, doesn't it? That's why you don't marry your cousin. That's why you don't marry your sister and brother because it becomes homogeneous genes. It's more than that, but, but complexity creates a beautiful plethora of colors and meaning and purpose and ideas. 
and needs that will create a much more beautiful world. Sorry, now pull it back to science. Even scientists have this this need for homogeneous thought. In fact, it's so funny that even when you present data to them, but it's like nutrition and it's not, you know, P450s, this and that, or some other molecular level, you see the smirking in their face, which the smirking is a reflex behavior to negate. But the smirking started before even the end of the statement, which means the reflex arc was to, to push back against the different even before you heard it, even from the scientist. So the key is to open up to a method, even and especially when you're challenging the status quo. We're not against challenging the status quo. Challenge the vaccine, vaccines all the time. Challenge the, the food industry all the time. Challenge the oil industry. Challenge the authority. Challenge the power of authority to usurp control in different ways. Absolutely. But even that challenge needs a method, doesn't it? Not a perfect method, but a greater weight of direction in that mm -hmm. method. Right. So I'm so glad you, you brought the conversation to racism, because one of the things I was thinking when you were talking about when Aisha was saying it takes a tremendous amount of energy <clears throat> to change an opinion. I'm also thinking, like, why, you know, George Floyd, why was he the spark along with Breonna Taylor and Ahmed Arbery? When we've had for, you know, forever, we've had police murders of black people. And for the last seven or eight years, we've had them on film. It, you know, is it something to do with COVID-19 when the economy is shut down, where capitalism is not sucking people's lifeblood? So they actually have not other things, you know, they're, they're not so busy. Like, do you, is there something there that people have reserves of energy that they can then put towards towards protest? Mm. I think it was a combination of things. I think, yeah, people had time and, and uh, reserves of energy and frustrations. But more importantly, I think um, that video was so powerful. I was taught we were talking to the kids. We mm. actually spoke for we stayed up till midnight to watch that over and over again. And uh, we, we actually see things make our kids see things that most people would say, oh, that's not appropriate for the kids. I say blindness to injustice is the most inappropriate thing for kids. Yeah. And how old are your kids? Our kids are 15 and 13. Okay. Um, so we're not talking about six and four year olds watching. No, 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 no we're no. not. They're, no. they're teenagers. Um, but, they, you know, they've always been exposed to um, the injustices that go on. I think I think it was a combination of different things. Sorry about that. Um, combination of different things. Um, um, I think it was just uh, the way it was shown on national TV. I know that we've seen it before, but um, the entire period of seeing a person being murdered in front of you was gut-wrenching. It was raw. And I don't think we've had that in the past. Um, and and it's, it's, it, it was the last straw. Uh, we've seen so many of it, and we saw injustice happening in front of us. And I think people were already speaking about it, but it was the addition of more voices that amplified it. And it was about time to speak about this this issue. We can't live we can't live in a world where you know you are fighting the superficial injustices and completely negating something that has been happening for for a long, long time. Um, it, it made us feel like hypocrites, 
uh, it made everybody feel like hypocrites. And, uh, you know, if, if we're not participating in changing mindset, who cares about eating more kale and flaxseed and chia seeds? That's just silly. And I think one of the things that we did to take a risk and talk about this was just that because um, it's, it's, a hum- it's a human issue. It's beyond science. It's beyond everything else. Uh, Aisha said it's, it's about the idea of injustice. Idea, if you focus on the idea, all of it falls into place, whether it's race, whether it's uh, uh, speciesism, whether it's uh, you know gender rights, uh, human rights, whatever it is, it falls into place. And, and the beauty is if you can show the mechanism that in the greater complexity that will come out of this, humanity will do so much better. Humanity will do so much better than it, then it doesn't become a threat for those that are past protecting, you know, that, that those are, I'm, I'm going to say there, the majority of those that are fighting this concept are good, beautiful people. It's just that they're not seeing the greater beauty that will come out to opening up to concept or thinking that it's an exaggeration. But if it's, if, but by listening to, to the, to, a different point of view, there's no loss. Uh, and uh, the, speaking about uh, George Floyd's situation, I think there was one other thing, not the thing, but there was multiple factors. One, when he called out for his mama, for his mother, there is one universal in this planet, it's mother. Mm. Well, nobody missed that. Everybody saw themselves in that. Everybody saw their own com- aspect in that. I saw, my, I had just lost my mother. And and everybody saw that the word mother is the most universally similar word in all languages. In fact, the one word that's most overlaid and similar is mom. Mm. It's the first syllables that come out. And so that was another thing. We all have mothers. And and that should all species, but but especially people that have suffered greatly. And uh, and that's what was the determinant factor. Now, is this going to be now the next question is a more important question. Is this going to be the thing that will change the status quo? It depends on all of us. It really does. I mean, people should watch movies like 13 and others, which have shown the devastation. And it's going to help all of us as humanity. If we just want to focus on ourselves, when 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 we help one component, we help every component. Um, uh, so, uh, it's, it's, I think it's a pivotal time. It depends on the rest of us, what we do. Mm-hmm. Would you guys be willing to share your own experiences around racism? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, 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 you know, I, um, I, I don't have any trouble. I, I don't have any problem with it. I've, I've been a very I'm going to speak about myself first. Yeah. Right? Actually, maybe before, 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 before we do, for people who are going to just listen and are not, are not watching, maybe yes. you could, guys could describe yourselves in, in yeah. the context. Sure. Um, okay, so, so I was, um, so I'm, I've been born in a very privileged family. My parents and my grandparents are from Afghanistan. As a matter of fact, my grandfather was a prime minister of Afghanistan, and he was the person who um, created, helped create the constitution and worked towards women's rights at that time. Hmm. And obviously when you are a revolutionary like that, where you're standing for justice and for equal rights and health, 
you're always <laughs> sent out of the country. So, and, and then the same goes for Dean's grandfather. My grandfather. We were both from Afghanistan. Lucky that we met in Afghanistan when we went back to help because we used to go throughout the world and help, and we met there. My grandfather was the Secretary of Education of Afghanistan, and all his kids left, came to U.S. early and became doctors and other. But but he actually brought women's reform into the education and was kicked out of the country basically for that reason. Mm-hmm. So we had two rev- revolutionaries in all our right. family. I think it just runs in our blood, you know, to yeah. be um, the ch- grandchildren of people who challenge the status quo. Um, right. and, and but, but, for what they believed in. Yeah, but also just your skin tones are a little different. Oh, yeah, right? yeah. Um, I get a little bit of a, a, a pushback sometimes. I mean, to be honest with you, uh, you know, it, it's good to be positive. But, yeah, you, you do you do um, get a little bit of discomfort just because I have a um, I have an unusual name. My first name is Aisha and then Sherzai. Um, and there are a couple stories, but it's not even close to what black people have, have gone through. So I'm not going to actually, you know, even say any aspect of what I've felt and what my children have felt, because it's just, you know, it's minimal, minimal. It's it's minimal, but it's, it's a point of, of empathy. It is. Like like my wife just posted something with there's you know, there's nextdoor.com, the sort of local like Facebook for local. And she posted an article saying what to do instead of calling the police. If you think you need the police, there's other alternatives. And it was based on people writing last week, like there was this black kid who was going around collecting money for some sort of scholarship fund and they discovered it was a hoax. And, you know, someone said, well, just call the cops. And we're like, do not like do not yeah. call the cops. And, right. and what we saw from the community, which I guess shouldn't have surprised me, was, you know, a great deal of anger, a great deal of hostility towards my wife. You know, why don't you go to Mexico where they don't have police? See how you like it. Um, yeah. Or, yeah. you know, I pray that you never need the police and we have to respect our armed forces. And right. So, um, yeah, like these yeah, are we, people we... these are people who have identified as white yeah. their whole lives and have never experienced anything that looked like prejudice based on name, skin tone, facial features. And to some, you know, and to some extent, you guys have. We have. I mean, I'm not going to um, uh, diminish it. I I just want to make sure the reason I said I should said that is to not take away from the moment of the African-American population. But we definitely have. I'm, I'm darker. And Aisha and I have this read. And and, uh, (laughs) you remember, look at the plant-based world, how many people at the higher levels do you see that are like us? Uh, not many. And, and we, I mean, there are some, but, but not many. And, and there, there's been a struggles and these are not nominal or perceptual struggles or we thought there was something like that. No, it is actually real, real, real blockages. In fact, the reason I didn't want to talk about it was because I don't want to take I away know. from the um, from what know. black people are experiencing. But no, we have had, you know, real. Sure. And, real and, yeah. And the reason I want to bring it up is not to hold you guys up as the martyr to to sideline what's going oh, I understand. on. But, yes. but, but ra- rather, I mean, I don't know the exact demographics of this podcast. I assume there's a largely white audience. And, you know, for myself, there's a ton that I don't understand and need to understand. You know, I spent the weekend in such a rage over these people, you know, like, you know, being uh, crude and, and offensive and hostile to my wife. I just, you know, and then I suddenly realized, oh, like I could actually just go on that forum and, 
you know, be mean to them back and yell at them. And and I could and black people don't have that. Yeah, right. Freedom. Yeah. Most yeah. of the time, like they, they, they have to hold it. I'm like, oh, wow. Like a slightly different understanding of what that experience might be like for someone who doesn't who can't just shoot his mouth off because he's not going to get you know shot. That's there, so true. There are several studies that have shown, and this was mind-blowing. Uh, in Harvard, a friend of mine, Amy Cuddy, and others have done this, where uh, what I call it is ROBE. I've named it ROBE, R-O-A-B. B, yes. Range of allowable behaviors. Mm. And this is so crazy. That actually, this is the first time I'm saying this, so I know I have a ROBE. Aisha has less of a, a ROBE because she's white and she's a woman, and they're a little intimidated that if they do something, but I have a robe, range of allowable. If, so the studies show that if, if a white man sits like this, he's confident. If a black woman sits like this, it's arrogant. If a white man sits like this, it's confident. If a black woman sits like this, it's lazy or, or a Hispanic woman or somebody else. Hmm. I kind of know my robe that if I say a little more immediately, very quickly, the concept of arrogance comes in. Or if I talk too little, dumb foreigner comes in and I'm not, I'm from Pittsburgh for God's sake. You can call me a dumb Pittsburgh person from Pittsburgh. You can't Pittsburgh is too, too nice. You can't. But, but, awesome. that, but so my robe, I know. And, and, but the point is imagine, I mean, that's just that African-Americans are distinctly separated and their robe is so narrow. Yeah. Forget about us. We'll do fine. Every story we said, throw it away. We're going to be fine. We're fighters. We love it. We're not, we're here to change the world for everybody for the better. But that population has been, and the Native Americans as well, but have been devastated. And we will all be better. We will all be better by a more complex approach to this world. By the way, at the end of time, thousand years from now, the truth will manifest. The arc of history will bend towards justice. But some people have to pull it, right? It depends on you being the one that's going to pull or push it away. Yeah. Because you can't. It will go in the right direction. Where do we stand in that spectrum of time? Are we protecting your, our little small worlds in a speck of time? Imagine yourself 4,000 years ago where you used to, like, let's say, you go to South America or in, in Middle East or somewhere where, you, you know, you had to, you know, sacrifice young virgins in order to make rain and you protected that, how would you feel about that? This is the time to be part of the greater meaning and there's no loss in that. There is no loss. There might be an overshoot, but there's, that's okay. It will always correct back to the majority. It's good to bend the arc yeah. together. Mm -hmm. There's no loss. Open up your ideas to new way of looking at things, not the same channel giving you the same view. Mm. Uh, so, so on that, um, that topic, I want to try to bring things together. Um, By the I'll, way, Howard, I never expected this conversation to go in this direction. <laughs> I was waiting for Omega three, <laughs> <laughs> and the amount of yeah. kale that I should yeah. shower in, whether to take supplements in. or not. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry I didn't focus on the important stuff. Oh, today. it doesn't matter. We love it. We love it. Oh, we love We're it. comfortable with discomfort. Good. <laughs> So I was I was listening to um, Dr. Ibram Kendi, who who wrote a book, uh, How to Be an Anti-Racist, that um, 
is now, you know, number two on Amazon after, yeah. you know, no one has heard about it for forever. And he was saying that um, what he's worried about is people are doing feeling activism like they saw the murder. They feel bad. And so they're going to go to a protest or buy a book or join a book club. And, and that's going to make them feel better. And then they're just <clears> going to go back to life as normal. Now, we we in the health field see that all the time. Someone wants to lose weight or reverse a disease or they, they do something, they get a good result, they feel better, and then they drop it. What, what, what neurologically brain sound advice do you have for people who, say, who right now are like really invested in the social justice movement, in anti-racism, and yet they know like next week their boss is going to call? Like, like they, they, we know that this moment could pass for us in a way that it's never going to pass for the direct victims. I think it's the same thing as eating better. So you first identify what the truth is and not the truth that you've been told by your mom, dad, and everybody that you knew, but the data, the net direction of data shows what, and, and even look outside of what you've been comfortable with and see if their data. And then if, once you decide that, and in this case, let's say racism, and what are the elements that are involved in racism? The, the, the economic, economics behind it, the, the prison system, the, uh, the financial system, the fact that once they, you know, the, 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 half the jails are full of people for marijuana charges. I've never smoked marijuana, but I really don't think that people should be going to jail for one you know, puff of marijuana or even having some marijuana on them. And then they, because they don't have the money to get out, bail, they, and, or, or to challenge, they stay there for years and years and not only they're affected, their family, and then they come out without the ability to vote. And you know, so identifying those things that are really fundamentally wrong, things, it's the same thing as science. Worry about the science, not the people. And then identifying the, and, and saying, I'm going to have a hand in one of those. Mm -hmm. That's that one habit thing, isn't it? Mm. One smart goal, specific, measurable, attainable. Can you really do something in that? Relevant to the higher goal of anti-racism, time bound. And the next year, I'm going to do this, this, and this specifically and measurably. But in order to do that, you have to identify the elements clearly and listen to the people who are telling you. You don't have to take everything. Yeah. But the people that have lived through it have identified it in, their, in different websites as far as what that is, what can be done. Take one of them. And that's your habit change. Yeah. And I think then that becomes a tangible, applicable, uh, transferable change moment. Yeah, it's almost um, it's almost the 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 steps of um, um, habit formation. You know, when you're in the pre-contemplation phase, then your contemplation, and then there's decision. Uh, sorry, there's planning, there's action, and then there's maintenance or sustaining mm -hmm. sustaining the results. Finding out where you are in that spectrum is the first step. A lot of a lot of people are in the even pre-contemplation. They're they're deniers. They don't think there's any problem. Right. And they they need to they need to actually figure out where they are in 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 that in that process, and then slowly and gradually move up. Whether you're in the contemplation phase or you're in the planning or action phase, but the net goal should be in the maintenance. That's that's where we all need to be. And then pick a behavior or an action that that works around your strengths. Yeah. That works around your resources. So if you're in the legal field, pick one element 
that you can affect in the legal realm. If you're in the health field, so I'll, in a second we'll tell you about the health and what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Pick one element that you can be of help in that, in that strength of yours with your resources. So in health, we've been speaking about this repeatedly. The African-American population, the data shows that they suffer four times more as far as dementia is concerned than the general population. And then same thing with stroke, yes. all vasculars, and most of it has to do with lifestyle. So that's our strength, stroke, dementia, or health problems and lifestyle. And epidemiology. And epidemiology. Understanding the, the, the process of how disease spreads in a community and what the elements are. And we've connected to the churches, African-American churches, and, and my PhD shows that uh, certain populations is better to go through the church and the faith community than it is to the clinic because clinic actually is a form of threat. And so in any case, like, so we've actually contacted many, many churches and we've given talks and we're actually starting an initiative in African-American churches. It's not like we're negating the rest. Absolutely not. Invite us. We'll come, you know, for nothing for, for, for in order to help. But that population is a high attention to us, highest, in fact. Right. And, and uh, that's how we are working around our strength, our resources, and our, our uh, idea of justice, health justice. Mm. And what, because what, public health is... <laughs> Public health is all about resources, isn't it? Or access, access to information, access to resources, access to, you know, the professionals. So, yeah. Well, I used to think it was all about access. Now um, I'm thinking also, like when we look at the the differential rates of disease, it's also, you know, access to a boot on their neck. Like the, mm-hmm. the, the stress of being a black body in this country. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Is Absolutely. like even oh, yeah. even if we have equal like I think we we I think I've seen some data that even in affluent African American upper middle class communities there are still these disparities when you can't explain it just in terms of access. I mean, yeah. we've talked about the the effect of stress or chronic low level stress is worse than anything yeah. else. Yeah, we had a we had a um, live session on Instagram. Uh, I think it was last week where we talked about allostatic load, which mm-hmm. is you know the wear and tear that stress takes on your body. And we talked about the immense amount of allostatic load in the African-American communities because it's not just, it's not just you know, the, the lack of a healthy lifestyle around them, but the immense stress of being a black person in the United States. And all of that takes a toll on your health. So you're right. Um, well, when we say access, we say it in a global way, which, which also includes the concept of how one mm-hmm. consumes health information. How do they bring it into their life? And, you know, uh, Dean's actually Dean's uh, PhD topic was just that. And so instead of, you know, waiting for patients to come into the hospital, uh, we need to go to where they feel comf- comfortable, where they feel safe. And it happens to be in a lot of faith communities for African-Americans. As a matter of fact, we were actually going to start the whole process before COVID-19 happened. Uh, but we're, we're going to continue everything virtually and online to, to speak about this more and more. Mm. What suddenly came to me is <clears throat> you talk about playing to your strengths and resources. Like, <clears throat> you know, we know a lot of white Americans right now are up in arms and probably most of them are going to forget because there's another news cycle coming like you know we've we're not wearing masks anymore or social distancing because that's boring even though the rates have never yeah. started go- going down um but like if there was one community that was used to seeing things differently taking an ethical stance and 
form turning it into a maintenance habit. It's the plant based vegan community. Like we have, yeah. we know how to go against the mainstream for the greater good. And yeah. mm -hmm. like maybe we can start using those strengths in social justice movements around, you know, considering black humans the same way we would consider cows and pigs and chickens. Yeah, we, we saw a debate this weekend right. between a vegan that said, no, vegans don't have to stand for um, African-American rights and an um, African-American gentleman that, that said, no, that's that's part of the creed. I mean, that's part of the uh, silent tacit contract. Um, I, I kind of agree with the first person. You don't have to. You don't have to. You can limit your creed. You can limit your range, and uh, it's your decision. But and and there's no. But there's a sense of slight hypocrisy that if you're going to stand for truth and justice, I know that we don't have the bandwidth to stand for everything, but we should stand to some extent for some things that are dominant in our. You know, as far as pain and suffering is concerned. So uh, I think, first of all, the question is, should we or must we must we know? Should we depends on how much you believe that your justice is just myopic to what you want to believe, which becomes self-affirming, self, self -conf confirmation kind of thing. Or it really means some, the true the true concept of justice that's not delimited by your comfort but it's defined by itself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is justice defined by itself or by your comfort level? Right. Well, that's where if I think not vegans and plant based people are are so powerful because we all would be more comfortable eating cheeseburgers, cheeseburger, you know, oh. pepperoni, pizza, chicken wings. Those things are delicious. We are they are. <laughs> we are discomforting, are. <laughs> discomforting ourselves for some greater uh, for some greater goal. And yes. right. You know, to 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 know how to do that and to be able to model it into, you know, and I'm talking to the people, to the vegans who who already care. Yeah. Right. Who 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 would like, but they're like, well, I just, you know, I know I'm not going to be able to maintain in a month. I'm not going to be going to protests. I'm going to something else is going to happen. Like it's, mm -hmm. you know, like we've seen so many times before. These are moments, not movements. And vegans but know how right, to create though. movements. But, but, but I will tell you this. I, I think this is a good opportunity to speak about this. They're right. I think the, 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 the protests are great because it, it gives people a sense of strength, but they're going to wane away. But I think everybody right now should decide what they're going to do for greater justice outside of their comfort, outside of who they know, what they know. But one thing, and that should be your parasite life action that one thing around your strength that you think that you can add on a daily basis on a weekly basis and that power is overwhelming imagine imagine just three million people doing one small thing a day uh -huh. over 365 days over the next 10 years the world will be a completely different world wow one wow thing. Yeah. and and it also occurs to me that's the most self-interested thing you can do if you're yes. if you're stressed out at the world, right, because stress ultimately comes from lack of control. Absolutely. Yes. So to choose something that you control your response to can can be a tremendous mitigator. It really is. Anxiety yeah. comes from that. Stress comes from that. Depression comes from that. In fact, our 
sadly, in fact, this is how we, when I was very young, uh, well, I was in medical school, very young. I, I was, uh, I, I went with the Operation Smile. It's an amazing group that does cleft palate surgery on children. Mm. And we went to China. And while in China, I saw these dogs that were initially in a bigger cage and then put in a smaller cage. And I don't want to tell you what they were there for, but I guess you can imagine. And when, as soon as they were put in a smaller cage, they went back and forth in an eight formation, you know, a <laughs> uh, pattern. Uh, pattern. And then parrots that were uh, birds that were put in a, from a bigger cage to a smaller cage, they would start head bobbing more because it gives them a sense of control. If I can't control the world, I can control my physiology. My, so you head bob and that gives you control that reduces anxiety. Well, let's not head bob. Let's not go, you know, in an infinite circle of meaninglessness. One action that's meaningful. Oh, and this is really empowering around your strength because you're releasing your strength exponentially at an outside thing that gives you control. And every day pick on that. That little one pick is going to topple a mountain. I love it. That one pick 365 days a week, four, five, six, 10 million people around the world. It's unstoppable, yeah. especially if it's well defined by you. Especially there's a general direction where everybody's going. Unstoppable movement. Mm, I love it. Hey, guys, thank you so much. I have to, I have to jump off for a coaching call. Um, just let, let people know where they can find you. I know you have a new podcast or like a year old podcast and you're on Instagram. And, and where, where can people follow you? We're Team Sharezai, teamsharezai.com. Uh, on Instagram, we're Team Sharezai MD on Facebook and Twitter as well. Our podcast is called Brain Health and Beyond, and you can find it in any uh, podcast platform. All right. Well, thank you guys so much. It is always so uplifting and inspiring and heartwarming and educational to talk to you guys. But uh, what, what really comes through is the love. So I, I got oh, a, a wonderful effusion. We love infusion. you. Thank you so much. Oh, we love you, Howie. You're, you're, you. you're our brother. Thank you so All much right. for having us. All right. Talk to you again soon. Talk to you bye -bye. soon. Bye bye. All right. I would love for you to drop me a line and let me know what you thought about that. You can do so on the Facebook post for this episode, which will be up at facebook.com slash plant yourself. You can reach out to me directly and uh, mention me at Ask Howie on Twitter. Uh, you can also do the same on Instagram. It's Ask Howie. So I'm not going to read out all the names of my patrons today. I think you can hear that my voice is a little bit shot and I have a fair amount of coaching and teaching to do in the next day and a half. I hope you'll forgive me. Uh, if you really want to hear the names, just uh, go to the website, plantyourself.com slash 414, and you can see them all and even read them out loud yourself. Uh, Running News did a 10 miler on Sunday. It was nice and slow, a lot of walking. Just did seven and a half this morning. So the distance is coming back. Speed, not quite so much, but uh, here's hoping. Garden news, the irrigation system is making a huge difference. And now we're getting kale, which is going into salads and smoothies. If soybeans are up and the blueberries are beginning to ripen. A couple of the new bushes are putting out uh, juicy, plump ones. I would say 99.9% .9 of them are not ready for consumption yet. All right, let's talk about um, the music. Here it comes. Will Ridenauer's Sabali Don, The Dance of Peace, played on the Chora. Check out willridenauer.com for more of his beautiful Chora music. Um, we're going to continue to have conversations about racism and racial justice. I've 
I've tackled the topic on the podcast before, most notably a panel on racism um, that included uh, Dr. Milton Mills and a couple of specific conversations with him about racism, um, as well as a conversation about healing from whiteness with Tad Hargrave, who is an activist and teacher who points out that the identifying as white is as damaging to the spirits and psyches of white people as the racism that comes out of that uh, is for people of color and uh, and urging us to become anti-racists, not just because it's the right thing to do, but because it it really feels so damn good. Um, But I'll be having more conversations if there's people you'd like me to talk to. I did reach out to uh, Ibram X. Kendi about four months ago, four or five months ago, before he got so famous, um, and he was too busy then. So um, if there's other people that you think I could actually reach and you'd like to hear from talking about how to heal our society from racism, you know, plant yourself is about healing, and it's not just about broccoli and kale and uh, and jogging and meditation. It's also about healing society from the ground up. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on what you would like to hear from me and from my guests in the coming months. All right, so that's it for today. As always, be well, my friends. Mm-hmm.